Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Under the radar. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tian Tian. Now, you might have heard of Jordan paint or the Jif dishwashing liquid. Now, they are known as Sif in Singapore and carried by Unilever, but that's a story for another day. But did you know who is the player behind some of these brands? What about a Norwegian conglomerate called Okla ASA? Now, founded in 1654, Okla is a leading industrial investment company focusing on brands and consumer-oriented firms. Now, just to give you a sense of the company's scale of operations, Okla ASA generated operating revenues of some 58.4 billion Norwegian krones or $7.44 billion Sing dollars in 2022, and has a workforce of over, get this, 20,000 employees. Now, the Oslo Stock Exchange listed firm has 12 companies under its belt in areas such as paints and coatings, home and personal care, foods, confectionery and snacks, health and food ingredients, among others. And it has set some exciting financial targets for these brands. For one thing, the firm had in November last year estimated the value creation potential for its consolidated portfolio companies to be 40 to 45 billion Norwegian krones, or 5.11 billion to 5.75 billion Sing dollars in the period between 2023 and 2026. Now, this will mean a compound annual growth rate, or CAGR, of 8 to 10 percent for underlying adjusted EBIT earnings before interest and taxes, that is, and a margin expansion in the range of 1.5 to 2 percentage points. But how does it intend to do so and which portfolio company is it going to grow versus to transform or exit? And also with Okla selling its products in over 100 countries, what value does Asia hold for the firm? Well, for more, let's speak to Kai Duk Tam, Vice President, Net Revenue Management at Okla. Kai Duk, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. And great to have you on board, uh, Kaidak. And we've briefly talked about Okla as this Norwegian conglomerate founded 370 years ago. Now, it has since become an industrial investment company focusing on brands that are mostly consumer-oriented. Now, let's hear from you. How would you describe your value proposition and business model then? What is the investment mandate? Absolutely. And Workly is actually quite similar to Unilever, Procter Gamble and Nestle in the sense that we have a massive house of brands with more than 300 brands under our belt in multiple categories. And yet not Everyone, even in Europe, don't know about Orkla. And that is because we have such beloved local brands. So I would say that like Unilever, Nestle and Procter Gamble, we have a very strong DNA of consumer branded expertise in a vast majority of categories. But what this one distinction with Orkla versus the other main players is that we're actually having a very strong local presence local mandates in our markets where we're really acting local. And this, of course, has pros and cons. Uh, one pro can be you know, the agility, the quick innovations. There's no central barriers. If you find a local opportunity, you can capture it immediately. The downside is that sometimes we don't look across markets. We're too narrow-minded and we can sometimes make the same mistake in multiple markets. But that said, another shift of focus as well um, is also to add an investment mindset from the central steering group. And what I mean with that is that 
looking historically, and like you said, we've been around for 370 years and we purchased and bought multiple brands and that's kind of been a, a business operation model. But over time, when you acquire multiple brands and products and categories, it's starting to add complexity. And the previous investment mandate was kind of unstructured. It was more divide and conquer. Let's be everywhere. And that is adding a lot of complexity. So the shift of focus now is actually to critically assess, does this actually add value to the core business? Are we diversifying too much? Or how can we create synergies with the core? So that is one big change. And speaking of that big change, I do want to get this question sorted out early on in the conversation to set the stage for our listeners. I understand uh, Okla implemented a new operating model in March last year, where you talk about having many brands, right? So you established 12 autonomous companies in areas such as paint and coatings, home and personal care, foods, confectionery and snacks, health and food ingredients, and under which you fit the different brands in it, right? So could you break that down for us? What is the structure like right now and which is the most important portfolio company where the dollars and cents are concerned a post new operating model yes absolutely now before we established these 12 autonomous portfolio companies we actually had five broad business area where we operated in some made sense like food confectionery snacks food ingredients but some of these business area like care and consumer investments their portfolio was really very different, very diverse. They didn't really belong to each other. Um, so it made little sense, but we just clustered them together. So this new shift of focus is actually when we t- took this critical view again, okay, does it make sense to group these brands and, and companies together or not? And that's where we actually dissected the business into 12 autonomous chunks or segments that made more sense, that belong together, where we could actually scale and drive synergies. Also, I would say that before, we only had one board of directors for all of the business areas. Now with the dissected autonomy, um, we have dedicated board of directors with both internal and external stakeholders for you know the business areas that make sense, the new port coast. And in terms of uh, dollars and cents, uh, I would say that Jotun is the biggest port co, followed by foods and food ingredients. Well, that being said, um, Kai Duck, aside from the Jotun paint, which Okla holds a 42.6% ownership in, we rarely see your products here in Singapore. And as you mentioned, the firm is very much focused on the Nordic areas. In fact, even the GIF dishwashing liquid we see here in Singapore is soda sieve. So tell us a bit more about your global presence. What is the footprint like in Asia for you guys and the role of Asia even for Okla Group? Well, I would say that we do have a global ambition, but honestly, our strongest market presence is in Europe and primarily the Nordic markets where we are the main market leaders. But that said, without a doubt, Asia as a market has potential upside and is huge. And we're looking, okay, how can we enter these exciting, growing markets? And currently, I would say we're trying to build our presence in India and also look at the U.S. potential. And one potential downside is what I said before, that one characteristic of Orkla is the local presence. We want to have a strong local presence, but that's also a downside when you don't have local offices or local brands to have this base of operations. Um, So then we need to build our footprint through 
global customers, e-commerce or sales distribution rights, etc. When you talk about having a very strong local presence, right, and then needing to use e-commerce, could you elaborate that with more granularity? What do you mean by having a strong local presence? Do you mean that if you enter into a market like India, you're going to set foot there, have your production facilities there, and then just focus on India as a market instead of India as a gateway to Asia? Exactly. That is normally the standard way of our business model, where we actually establish a strong base and build our production and then scale up from there rather than just export uh, and, and let others take care of the ownership. Ah, okay, I see. And let's talk money, uh, Kaiduk. It's very exciting here because uh, Okla had in November last year estimated the value creation potential for its consolidated portfolio companies, the 12 companies, to be 40 to 45 billion Norwegian kroons. Now, this rounds up to be about 5.11 to 5.75 billion Sing dollars and in the period of 2023 and 2026. So you're expecting minimum annual total shareholder returns in the range of 12 to 14% in the period between 2024 and 2026. Sounds like some ambitious numbers. So questions here, is it even an ambitious target? And what's the basis behind the numbers then? Okay. Now, before I get to your questions, I really have to take this opportunity to do, since you want to talk about money, I have to do a a quick pop music quiz. And that is, uh, which artist group delivered the mega hits Money, Money, Money in 1976? And where are they from? Wow, I don't have the answer. I need to find out from you. What's the answer? All right. The answer is Diaba, the massive Swedish export pop music group, Money, Money, Money. Um, now, a fun fact about that is that ABBA is actually another local market-leading brand in Sweden specializing in seafood and was established in 1938. And that is actually owned by Orkla. So in Sweden, ABBA is actually two beloved brands, one in seafood and then the pop music. And now <laughs> let's get back to your questions regarding the growth targets. And I would say that, yes, it is quite an ambitious target. But we are actually doing a lot of exciting changes that will enable us to reach those goals. And I would say that free changing perspectives that has business operation impact are, first and foremost, we want to reduce complexity and really focus on the core business. Before, we had a a quick route to innovation. So we just did innovations for the sake of innovation without really critically assessing what value does this really offer? Um, we're also making a massive shift in how we're managing our brands. We're partnering up with leading academic institutes like Aaron Bag and Bus, which were you know, laying the foundations for how brands grow with Byron Sharp and Jenny R. Uh, so we're actually shifting our focus in how we're building our brands, how we're focusing and really focusing on the core rather than diversifying too much and spreading a thin layer. So we really want to have a solid foundation. Linked to that is, of course, sales. And here we're driving scale and efficiency and and really emphasize on synergies and understanding our markets. And that is where net revenue management or revenue growth management comes in play, because that is about how can we identify value creation through fact-based analysis? How can we understand what's going on in the market, what's driving the growth, and how can we capture it in a more structured approach using sales data fundamentals? Taking this information advantage and also to automatize it, because 
it's very easy to be overloaded with a lot of information. We have a lot of products, a lot of categories, a lot of markets. So there's information overload. And some people are just spending time spending, you know, just doing analysis and just creating PowerPoint slides. If we can remove that layer of barrier and automatize a lot of that uh, analysis, then we can spend time on actions, what drives the change rather than just doing analysis, we're focusing on actions. And those are three things I would say that are changing the way we're operating our businesses. Hmm. And it does seem to me, don't mind me asking this or saying this as well, uh, Kai Duck, it does seem that the business right now is very big, it's very heavy and bulky, which is typical of conglomerates with a diversified portfolio, right? Um, could you give an example about how certain things or certain parts of the business can be more streamlined uh, with more granularity, of course? Yeah. So before we said, okay, it's up to the local experts to understand the more you own the market. So it's up to you to do whatever you want. So then we have category managers, sales analysts, just doing a lot of analysis, just trying to understand what, what is working or not. And to be fair, you can do price analysis, category analysis in a hundred different ways. And they were kind of doing that. And then we're like, wait a minute. Even though it's different categories, the fundamentals are the same. We're all working with products. We're all working with price. We're all working with promotions. We're selling it through a retailer. So there are some core questions that are the same regardless of the market. And then the question is, what tools do we have that can help you answer those questions? And those are the ones we want to streamline. Those solutions to those questions using fact-based analysis in an automated way, that's what we're building uh, a solution to to scale. So we talked about streamlining backend operations, but I want to talk about from a strategy base when you look at uh, all the different brands and all the different portfolio categories, right? You intend to create value to reach that 40 to 45 billion Norwegian kroons uh, target, right? How do you intend to do so? Um, you've grouped your portfolio companies into three categories. You have different strategies for them, whether to grow, to transform or to exit. So tell us more about that. Yes, absolutely. And again, I would say that this is taking more um, steering um, direction and perspective where before we let all the market, we went bottom up. We, okay, do your best and then we'll see what, what the results will be. But now we're actually structuring and mapping these 12 different portfolio companies into three different priorities where, like you said, grow and build. That is where okay, how can we future-proof the direction of the company? Uh, what do we need to invest in to really ensure that we have the right uh, offering for the future? In other areas, we have the anchor, and that's kind of the maintained companies with a high market share, high penetration, but it's a more mature. The growth is limited, but we need to ensure that we have a solid anchor. And then we have the others that we need to assess, okay, how can these create value uh, long-term for us? And if not, like, how can we transform this to really um, create the sustainable cycle of growth? Because if not, maybe we want to exit because we're not the right partner to drive these brands uh, or companies. Hmm. I recall you do have a table where you lay out which companies you want to grow, which companies you want to exit. So uh, take us through the clear-cut ones, uh, Kaida. Which ones do you intend to grow? Which ones do you intend to exit? Absolutely. So for example, Orkla India is massive 
that is something we definitely want to grow. We want to look at um, the opportunities in Asia, like we said. So that's something we want to establish and build further on. Other anchor uh, businesses are like Jotun, which is massive. Uh, it's a, a limited innovations there. There are some innovations that can um, help us grow, but it's um, a solid base. And the same thing for the food categories, which is uh, a very mature category and segments where there are, of course, high growth in different segments, but overall it's a very mature, we can't assume as high double-digit growth in that percentage-wise because it's such a big uh, base to begin with. Mm. If you're just tuning in, we're now in conversation with Kai Daktam, Vice President, Net Revenue Management at Okla Group. And speaking of maximizing value at Kaiduck, I understand the firm had in October last year, before those ambitious targets were announced, you guys made a restructuring announcement of your spices and curry powder business unit called MTR Foods, and it's now renamed as uh, Okla India. What was the rationale behind the move and how was the move done to support these near-term growth targets that we talked about earlier, which was announced after that? Yes, and I would say Asia do play a big role. Like we said, India is a massive market and the upside is enormous. India is one of the fastest growing large economies. So the rationale is really to set up for future expandability. Maybe we want to expand and broaden our assortment more than just spices. Because we see there are many interesting macro trends that can help us uh, grow even more. For example, convenience is, is something is that is being talked about. We see that the young population in India have limited cooking knowledge and the penetration of packaged food solutions, ready meals in India is a really low penetration. So if we can scale that up, it, it's massive. Another macro trend is, of course, plant-based, where we see in the West uh, people eating more non-meat. And that is, you know, meat is normally the traditional uh, meal. But in India, it's actually non-meat. That has a big part of the meal locations. So we can tap into that and coming up with new alternative protein sources that are plant-based. That's a huge fit for India as well. So we're continuously and expecting a continuous double-digit growth in India because of these uh, enormous um, potentials. And just scaling up the existing business, for example, in spices, through just distribution, because the country is so big, right? And we're not uh, 100% penetrated uh, the full regional markets. Just expanding our regional presence will just help us grow even more. Hmm. And I do want to talk about this announcement uh, announced in October last year as well. Okla's partnership with private equity firm uh, Roan to focus on investments and businesses with a transatlantic presence. Again, how does that help you unlock opportunities and eventually prop up your top and bottom lines then? Yeah. So if we would say that Orkla, the core is maybe Europe, Europe in the middle. So we're looking to the east and that's India and Asia where we talked about as well. But then we have the transatlantic opportunities, the states, uh, the west. And our current presence there today is quite limited. So we're looking for growth opportunities there as well, right? And one way, if we don't have strong local presence and uh, offices there, one way around that is through strategic partnerships. In this case, Rhone, that is going to help us identify and capture opportunities in the States. And I would say that it's a threefold strategy, where the first one is, of course, to help us identify and find suitable business opportunities that can help us establish in those markets. 
but it's also not only to establish it, but what are the opportunities that we can then bring back to our main markets? Uh, and thirdly, maybe even look for potential buyers, like we talked before uh, with the transformer exit. If we have parts of our portfolio that we feel that we're not the right owners for this, maybe we want to look into potential new buyers to divest parts of our business. So I would say it's a win for the long game, uh, partnering up with Roan. Would you consider selling part of the business, including like the rights to sell it in a certain country instead of selling the whole company and the whole brand then? Yes. So those are other opportunities we're um, assessing. Right. And we've talked about transatlantic opportunities in the West as well as India and the East, but we've not talked about Singapore or Southeast Asia or in fact North Asia for that matter. Uh, so, Kaidak, what will it take for Okla to decide that, hey, it is worthwhile to move or to enter into Southeast Asia, North Asia, or to expand its presence in these areas? I mean, that's a great question. And I personally would love to have a stronger presence in Southeast Asia and Singapore in particular. I believe currently we have Jotun paint, we have some Jordan toothbrushes, we have some Melois Stan, which is the omega-free and vitamin products, where we're primarily partnering up with different e-commerce partners to sell our products. But again, to strengthen our presence and because of our business operation model where we want to have local presence, we would need a suitable either a private equity partner that can help us uh, establish or find regional brands that could help us build the local um, markets. So on that note, do you have any local favorite brands that you would recommend us to have a look at in, in m and Wow, what a question. I'll get back to you on the answer right after this interview. But before we go, uh, Kai Duck, what are some future plans for Okla Group for 2024? Any new partnerships, acquisitions of brands, or even more restructuring of companies that we can look forward to on a global basis? Now, I can say that there are many exciting future plans for Okla in 2024, and I can't unfortunately disclose any partnerships or plans of acquisitions. But I can say that we do have a solid plan to renovate the existing core business and to really accelerate our growth journey in various markets. I mean, we have great products, great brands, fantastic people on board. And some upcoming projects that we're doing are really exciting where we're trying to spearhead sales analytics and drive growth through automated analysis so that we don't get stuck in manual labor and focus more on value creation actions. Because I can feel that in some situations, there's an obsession with the output. What's the target? What's the goal? What's the result going to be? Me, in the role of a center of excellence, I'm actually more obsessed with the input. What are we doing? How are we going to reach that goal? What specific ways of working and actions are we prioritizing to reach and enable those goals. So to think, how can we maximize the output with minimum input? Now, if we can nail that, if we can crack that code and set the fundamentals really well with scalable solutions, then I believe great output will follow because you're spending time on what matters. And some projects we're doing in 2024 will really uh, drive these areas. Hmm. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Kaidak. That was Kaidak Tam, VP of Net Revenue Management at Okla Group. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.